Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo, and the team at The Learning Effect. There are lots of podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. In this episode, amongst other things, we'll be touching on the role of coaching in learning. I'm delighted to welcome Ad Davis to the podcast. Welcome, Ad. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're up to? Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, I suppose a, a lot of things at this moment in time. Um, obviously, working at Gymshark and the business has been on an incredible trajectory over the last few years. I've been with the company for two years now uh, in two different roles. Um, and we're in a position now where we're starting to really shape learning um, and learning and development as part of people's everyday. Um, the team's building out the business since I've been with it has gone from 190 employees to over 500. Um, so yeah, just literally seeing 2021 as an opportunity to to really push forward with their global offices and um, start to strategize properly. Great. And one of the things we always touch upon with our podcast guests is, is, is background. And we found out through that there is sort of no typical background of moving into learning and development. But yours is quite an interesting journey where, you know, you started out in football coaching and, and now you're in corporate L&D. Do you want to sort of talk us through that journey, how that happened, etc.? Was it planned? <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. Um, and it is a strange one because football sort of always been my passion and I would have been like a lot of uh, young people my age who went through the university sports route. So I did um, sports coaching and development at uh, University of Derby in Buxton um, and I was sort of centralising all of my studies and dissertations and whatnot around football coaching. Um, and when I was 19, I, I got an opportunity to, to go to Leicester City Football Club um, and start working in the, the sort of elite pathway there. I didn't have all my coaching badges at the time, just had a real passion for it. And it was something that I did you know, outside of, of what would be work at that point as well. Um, and over the years, I spent about four or five years at Leicester and I sort of progressed through into the academy route. I got my UEFA B licence at quite a young age. Um, and, and naively at the time, I was thinking that this is me in terms of being set and working in football and something I've always wanted to do. Um, and I was around 20, 21, 22 at the time and a full time position came up and I applied for it thinking, you know, I'm going to get this quite senior role um, in the foundation phase. And obviously it went to someone with a little bit more experience than me and I took that as a massive knock at the time, much like players do, I suppose, when they've been released. Um, the club was obviously doing incredibly well at the time. Uh, I'd won the league during the period in which I was with them. Um, and I thought football can no longer be a viable career option for me. Um, and I'd spent the whole of my like short working life out on the grass, coaching and um, with players. So. I got my role, a first role in HR through a friend's mum who sort of said, look, I've got this position coming up. And I'll be honest, James, I didn't even know what HR stood for at the time. Um, I was literally just, just going in for an interview um, and no doubt talking nonsense and rambling. Um, and, and Kerry, who, who took me on at the time, 
has sort of become a mentor to me um, since then. So yeah, it was a, a strange jump into HR. Um, and that was with a company called Fanuc UK. So industrial automation and robotics. Um, spent three years there literally learning the trade. And this was everything from like, you know, the ER side of things to just general HR, how you deal with people and didn't really dip into the, the training as such at all. Um, it was only when I got the opportunity at Gymshark where I've been able to really move that tangible link of coaching out on the grass into coaching within a commercial business. I think that's interesting. You know, you say sort of you start with the university route, you then get an opportunity for almost your dream job or as close to your dream job as you can see that happening. And then, you know, suddenly as and this happens to lots of people in their careers, you know, you get that that thing that tells you you're not going to go any further. And, you know, I, you know, I was there at the beginning of my career. I did really well and, and it was in a sort of HR training role, but I got to the point and just went, everyone above me is going to be here for the next 20 years or they that was my view at the time and I thought I've got to move somewhere just to do something different so I completely relate to that sort of impetuous I want to go and do something different and you know again HR you know lots of people do HR degrees now I'm you know going back 20 years when I was starting my career or longer even I didn't know what HR was at school. It's not something, you know, I wouldn't think you sit there and dream of being an HR manager or a learning professional. So it, it's a really interesting journey as to how you've gone through there and you're sort of coming back full circle to that link from coaching, as you said, on the grass back to corporate L&D. So how do you bring those two together? What, how does that work? Uh, one through my own naivety. So as, as we you know, discussed before prior to being on the podcast today, I'm by no means an expert um, in anything really in my mind, very much a generalist. Um, and I've dipped my toe in various different areas of work. Um, and for me, it's a comfort in creating tangible links between the two. Um, and, and there's always like those light bulb moments where I go, all oh, right, this is actually really simple. Um, because my go-to is to overcomplicate first and, and very much like yourself, that sort of, um, I suppose, imposter level, everyone else is better than me, you're experts, so I'll stick to what I know. Um, and the, the coaching link out on the grass and in the commercial business for me are one in the same. Uh, and it's just how we choose to overcomplicate the, the one in the commercial business, which means that we don't see that link as easy as it, as it should be seen. When I was coaching at Leicester, I was working with young players who were obviously working towards the dream of being a professional footballer. Um, and I would set up an environment that I belonged to them. So irregardless of whether I thought it was a good session or not, we worked towards what was required, um, but you know, within the club curriculum. Uh, to teach people at certain, coach people at certain points. Um, we would set that environment up. The session would very much belong to them. So you're dipping in and out as and when. So if you see something, it's not going into automatically correct. It might be pulling someone out to ask a series of questions uh, and use techniques. And then the individual element as well, where we would take people away from the, the group session, if you like, uh, and put them in scenarios where they could work on a certain skill. Mm -hmm. In the workplace, we will set up 
environments and training sessions. We will invite people along. We will deliver our content because we think it's our content is the next big thing or a great idea. Uh, and it's very much uh, in most in most businesses, and I am assuming because I've only worked in the, the few that I have, where people will come to a training session, they then leave, and there's no sort of repetition or fallback to what you did in that training session or on that coaching day. Um, so for my own simplicity in my mind, just marrying the two, that scenario out on the grass is no different to how it should be done in a commercial business where skills are concerned. We should be putting people in an environment that belongs to them, i.e. tailoring it to their job and the things that they do day to day. Teaching them the skills that they need in order to develop rather than just teaching them a skill because we think it's a good idea as coaches. Um, and then lastly, leaving them in charge of it. So not that classroom based classic sort of teacher student relationship that we've all uh, had from formative years all the way through to the end of university. So it's given that control back to the learner and, and you playing that role around the edge. Just one question, because one of the debates that's been in, in learning for years is sort of the role of the manager and leader and the manager as a coach and how that fits in with a set of central coaches or a learning team and the individual having responsibility for for learning. So with each of those parties, how do you create that culture and that responsibility and and who does what? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And for me, it's understanding that if you're a manager, you've probably been a technical expert. So you've probably been the person that does the doing. So in terms of coaching as a skill set, we have to do the same thing with managers as we would you know, anyone else within the business in terms of putting them in the environment where they can practice that and understand it rather than just kicking them uh, a piece of course content or a book and saying read that and then you can start coaching with your people. Managers uh, are still very much in the day to day but for me shouldn't be doing the doing. They've got to move away from that technical expertise. Um, they shouldn't be the busiest employee. They should be facilitating the environment for the people around them to be executing and performing um, as such. Where leaders are concerned, and it is only my opinion, there's, there's not a massive difference there between managers and leaders. We all have the capacity to lead. Um, it, it's just the sort of personality and individual spin that you choose to put on it. So when I'm coaching leaders um, and coaching managers within the business, I'm not really making a massive differential between the two. Leadership and management is one in the same to me. Um, it's just the environment you create for your people. If that answers the question. It does, but I think again, going back to the football point and the thing you talk about technical expertise, you know, we've seen the case where some great technical players become great managers, yeah, possibly because yeah. they've got the innate leadership skills and all the rest of it. And they've, you know, actually understood the environment they're going through and others have made absolutely terrible managers and leaders and it's it's you know going into the corporate world and it can become even worse because you know as a player you can make hundreds thousands millions if you're great in a particular role but if you're then looking at it and going in a corporate world often the money comes from going up the ladder 
so you might be really great technically you might love what you're doing but the only way to progress is to become a manager and leader which can take you away from what you're good at and what you love and what motivates you so how can you build that into the corporate world or how can you challenge that way of thinking honestly in terms of um setting and managing people's expectations because it is exactly how you say it in order to earn the bigger books you've got to move up the hierarchy and whatnot and that's the same reason i moved away from football in the first place is to earn a, a better living in a corporate business so yeah completely agree um but setting and managing people's expectations at the outset uh in terms of what management or leadership is in comparison to the technical expertise of being a really great creative or someone who works in tech and helping people understand that you need to arm yourself with a various you know a completely different skill set various different set of technical expertise and you're not going to be afforded the opportunity anymore to do the doing and and where we might get it wrong and where we've done this as well uh, Jim Shark is say to people you know you're brilliant at what you do fantastic and therefore we're going to make you a manager uh, of people and now you're going to have a team and people will continue to do what they've always done so it's managing people's expectations at the outset helping them understand that it's a completely different skill set and being honest and then working with them in a coaching environment to sort of say here's what you might need to think about doing add your personality to it um, and that creates frustration for people, right? Because they want to move up the ladder in their in their technical expertise. Um, but such as you know the way that businesses are set up, it's a it's a challenge to be wrestled with. Yeah, I, I think you you know you touched on at the beginning the growth that Jim Sharp's going through as well, and naturally roles grow, and people who've been there at the beginning want to progress and move through, and you, you almost have that pressure, don't you, of those people wanting to move up, wanting to retain the role as their suddenly their department or function just just escalates and gets bigger and bigger. So that must be a real challenge you have to work through because I've seen sort of lots of startups or high growth businesses struggle with that because they don't get the balance right between helping those people grow and evolve, keeping them engaged, bringing new people in. That can be a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's two sort of phrases that are coming regularly here one by Noel Mack who's the chief brand officer which is think laterally so how, how could we potentially do this different um, can we get our heads together and sort of go way off pieces to what is the standard um, and think about how to set those people up for success in different ways uh, and the second is is actually Ben obviously um, Ben Francis who says bring people in who are better than you and phrase it that that's what it is so you know bring bring people around you if you're going to need technical expertise you're a manager of people the leader bring in the people who are better than you at the technical stuff yeah uh, uh, and he's done that recognize that early doors that's testament to the growth of the company and that he bought like steve hewitt and paul richardson and dave parry and said right i'm sort of got to a point where i need you to guide me on this next bit um and as long as we help people understand that within the company, so look, I'm sorry, but in order to progress, this is what the next phase looks like for you. So do you want to continue in tech or do you want to become a manager of people? Because here's what you're going to have to deal with. 
Um, but I think that we're, we'll move pretty seamlessly through that. So given all of those things that you've got in terms of your background, the high growth at Gymshark, what, what does learning and development look like at Gymshark? What do you believe in? What do you not believe in? Yeah, cool. Cool question. Um, so for the last or for the year that's just gone, um, I would say it's been reactive and that's because of the immense growth. Um, for the most part, there's, there's a lot of senior people who work in various organisations now and they're, they're saying it's unprecedented in terms of the, the amount of growth over a short period of time. So we've had to be reactive in terms of taking people through the fundamentals, through a pretty you know, rigorous onboarding process. Um, and albeit I don't believe in it, I've seen the, necess the necessity to get people on like the basics of management and help them understand what that looks like at Gymshark, to bring in experts in like neuro-linguistic programming because it's important to us and the culture of Gymshark that we understand self and others. Um, and we've not been able to do the proactive, really strategic stuff in L&D that you support people with through the learning effect and that we would like to do. So 2021 gives us an opportunity to start working with people in more of a partnering sort of um, phase, if you will, where we can sit with them and we can understand what it is they actually need rather than just kicking them a load of stuff because we think it's a good idea in L&D and servicing their skill sets and their departments so that learning becomes something that isn't something they attend on a day and then leave and come back in three months time so we're ever present in that sort of commerciality of their day to day. Um, so I don't believe, to sort of come back to the question, in what has become standard in learning, which is we'll kick you a load of stuff out, whether it's an e-learning piece of content, uh, a course, a management programme, when we haven't done the work to understand if that's what you actually need. So I'm not validating myself and saying we're now doing coaching and fixed versus growth mindset because Ad Davis thinks that's a good idea. Uh, I do believe in spending some real time to understand what a department or a function at Gymshark actually needs uh, and sort of taking it out of their hands and saying, all right, sounds like you need a little bit of this um, and you're telling me this and therefore here's something we can do for you uh, and becoming a part of their day to day. So it sounds like you're going to partner with those functions and, and help, you know, take them on that journey where you're not telling them, you know, or pushing the latest fad or your own personal views. You are that facilitator to help them reach their goals. And I think that's going to be an interesting journey. You know, you talked about the growth, trying to maintain culture and those things. So, so the role of learning in that will be an interesting journey over 2021 and do you think that events outside this year you know in terms of covid and all the rest of the disruption we've had this year has changed how the organization views things or have you just worked through it yeah um i think it would have been really easy to obviously you've got to be flexible right and we've got to make that sort of adaptable shift to as we as we are right now, we would have been sat in a room, I assume, doing this at some point, which would have been really nice. So to transfer everything over really quickly, make it work on Zoom or Teams, 
um, and do things the same way we would have, but just across this format. We sort of made a conscious decision to not do that because they're not the same. And therefore we have to service people in a different way. And the organization, and it was organization led, went heavily down the well-being route. So we supported in that, whether it was through check-ins or virtual tea breaks or helping people understand what was available to them, rather than trying to cram, right, now you're gonna have to learn how to do this down your down people's throats when they're navigating something that's really tough. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it will be viewed differently. Uh, and I do think we have to move away from where we were prior to even 2020 um, and, and doing workshops and whatnot and sort of flex that approach, whether it's through the provision of learning through webinars and whatnot. But it has to be centralized for me still uh, around whatever the need is, need of the people at the time. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely changed my outlook. Um, we shortened absolutely everything. So we were never doing long sessions anyway, hours. but we were shortening stuff to 45 minutes uh, and leaving 15 minutes at the end just to have a conversation because you, you will know yourself, we've made a conscious effort today to turn everything off Slack, emails and stuff comes in and people are just veering to whatever the next thing is that pops up on the screen for a bit of disruption. So loads of changes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things we see talking to people this year is how much you just on the screen all the time in certain roles. Lots of, you know, we've got operational colleagues out doing, you know, work that's physical contact, but lots of us have spent our whole life staring at a screen as we are doing now and, and having that conversation. and then to add learning onto that screen and to add networking and all the other things onto it people get that fatigue and i think it's certainly challenged you know me and my thinking lots of people i've talked to about what you can achieve and how you can achieve it and and i think i hope we take out of this year a real ambition to push the boundaries with what we can do and be as creative as we can because a lot of those holy cows that have been there before you know it has to be classroom training or it has to be this way have been challenged and gone so i think there's a real opportunity and one of the things you said at the beginning is you're you're not an expert but i think often the experts are very honed in the traditional ways of doing things so it's a real opportunity for you to step onto the pitch on the grass and do something that's unique and different when i was on the grass at leicester I went through that phase of setting things up because I thought it was a good idea. I'd, I'd develop a session, um, I'd create something I think this will really work. And when it came together, it would validate my ideal of that was your idea, and therefore, you know, continue with that premise uh, instead of setting things up for the conditions of the people. And when we spoke at the same event, um, you popped up a slide and you were talking about uh, hopefully tonight, what will happen is you will engage with my content, you'll take something out of it, the lottery numbers will fall in, the world's all aligned and we'll all go home happy. And I've, I've still done that at Gymshark, I've still made that same mistake 10 years later um, in terms of coming in, feeling like I've got to validate myself, so kicking out loads of stuff um, because I think it's a good idea and trying to, to force myself to be that expert and it's only on the back of what was 2020 where I took a step back and gone, 
you know what, that's that's not going to work as we move forward. That is that is not going to work. And obviously kicked myself for replicating the same mistake I made 10 years ago. But you've got to do that in order to, to move forward, right? But yeah, really interesting. It was that conversation and your talk that made me go, you could be doing this again. <laughs> I think we do, you know, despite the fact we even recognise we learn those lessons, you still catch yourself falling back into and getting caught up with the swell of what people are doing or, you know, the need to be seen or, you know, the need to make an impact. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I suffer with a part of that transition from something I know I'm really good at, i.e. the football stuff, into a commercial business means that I'm one of those people that thinks, are you good enough to be doing this? Is this an environment where there's loads of incredible people and loads of experts and you're kicking out this learning stuff and you're not an expert? Um, so I do suffer with a little bit of that imposter syndrome as well. Question. I think, you know, in, as long as that doesn't become a debilitating, it's a good thing to have. I think yeah. if you're not questioning yourself and challenging yourself and not, you know, balancing that self-awareness with trying to, you know, improve and enhance yourself. And we, we started the conversation sort of looking at your career journey. Let's go back to that now and let's look at what's going to happen for you next. So where do you want to take Ad Davis? Where's your career going now? You know what? It's, I'm uh, notoriously incredibly bad planner, um, which is which is, you know, awful for someone that works in strategic learning, I suppose. Um, and I've never really fallen I've fallen into absolutely everything I've done the opportunity at Gymshark was sort of a fall into um, and then I've, I've made something from there and I've never looked at like you know the standard if this was an interview you'd be saying five years time and I've got no idea um, what I do want to do is really sort of get on board with the businesses thinking in terms of that lateral thinking I think we've got a huge opportunity to disrupt L&D and the way that we could potentially do things um, and, and not just because I suppose we can or we want to but because it's needed. Um, I'm always talking about HR and learning. I know that going through that phase of like what was personnel, mm -hmm. HR and people where you're a, a service organisation, people come up to the office and knock the door and moving into that becoming part of people's day-to-day -day, uh, and servicing them properly um, on the basis of their needs. So I think for me, I want to take L&D and learning at Gymshark over the next few years, along with the team, by the way, which is headed up by some incredible people, into a space where people will turn around and say, well, I've really got that right there. Um, and you probably couldn't pick it up and just replicate it in another organisation. It's something that we've developed for Gymshark that works for Gymshark um, in terms of our offerings. I, I don't believe that we'd be able to just pick it up and put it into the learning effect or put it into Jaguar Land Rover um, because it's not re reticent of the culture in those businesses. Um, yeah, uh, and I just want to be on that bus. I want to be part of that journey. Um, but I'd, I'll be lying if I said I've thought anything more than a year ahead at this point. I think at the moment no one is. We're possibly thinking, you know, a few weeks or a few months ahead. But, you know, I completely get that. You know, I, I've, I've never had a career plan. 
I've, I've, I've taken opportunities. I know what I like and I know what I don't, but I've never had that five year, 10 year plan. Some people do. But I think the point you make about that individuality of offer and, and creation of solution for Gymshark is critical because one of the dangers is that you do something brilliant, you know, and you have a great impact and Gymshark continues to be successful, you know, and, and we love, we love, we love success stories. But, and we, you know, certain people would then go, okay, I'm going to take the Gymshark formula. So, you know, you sit there and you produce the Ad Davis book of the future of L&D as brought to you by Gymshark. And some people will take that and they will just put it in without really thinking about what are those lessons and, and what is the contextual stuff that's important to your organisation. And I think being able to paint that own, your own journey is, is critical. So be really interested to see what you do come up with and, and, you know, see what are those transferable lessons, but what are the unique challenges you face over the coming years and months as well? Yeah, and I'm not strangled by, I suppose the reason why I've got this outlook is because I'm not strangled by the need to do certain things. Um, and even prior to talking to you today, when I sort of said to you, I'm not an expert and we're pretty much all making this stuff up. Um, I'm not lying, that's just that's just as being transparent, but we're afforded the opportunity to be able to do that and move flexibly, and things quickly. So I'm not held down by a massive three-year management development plan. Um, to flex it and change it as per the needs and, and as they change, um, which is something that, you know, fortunately we're afforded to do here. I don't think everybody has that sort of flexibility. No, sometimes people are far more constrained. And beyond learning development, you know, it's been a it's been a really challenging year for for all of us in different ways. What have you done at Gymshark to sort of keep people engaged, keep people motivated? What what's happened beyond that to maintain that culture and drive? It's a great question. Uh, and actually, you know, in terms of this would be really frustrating for people that we talk to as well but the, the ceo says that you know monday morning or sunday night ahead of monday morning should feel like christmas eve right um and despite everything that went on in 2020 it still feels like christmas eve on a sunday um evening getting ready for monday even if You've gone from driving into the office on your commute to walking downstairs, flicking your kettle on and sitting at your kitchen table. Um, and in terms of like tangible culture, that's really hard for me to explain what it is that makes it feel like that. But I think it's literally because there's a, uh, to, to go back to the values and whatnot, so transparent, so when we did, did have to make the shift and when people were uncertain about stuff and how's this going to affect me, the company were really forthcoming from a people team perspective of saying, this is how it affects you. Here's the conversations we're willing to have if you're unsure about this. Um, and then all the way through to sort of just the, the provision of stuff for people. And it's not that, you know, ping pong table and blah, 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 that's culture. It, it's helping people understand that they still fit in and they're important. Um, and that's something that Gymshark's done incredibly well in 2020 when, you know, it, they didn't have to. Um, it was a hell of a lot of uncertainty and people were, you know, outside of 
Gymshark, there's a lot of uncertainty and people struggling um, in my own experience. So they just help you understand that you're still a part of something and that they still care and that that community that is so important to the business is something that absolutely everyone's still part of. I think that's I think that's critical and you know we're gonna face another few months at least who knows what that future is but maintaining that drive I think just reflecting back on our conversation it's, it's really interesting you know you you talked about starting at, at Leicester you're now you know at another successful business so you know going through that and, and maintaining that and and again that that's quite aspirational and inspirational for people but there's also that element of certain people be waiting for it to go wrong yeah. you know so you'll you'll see you'll see that you know where Leicester are one season wonder and I think they've proved not to be because they're again pushing this season or you know are Gymshark just going to go big and then disappear how's that going to be sustainable and that, that must create you know either a good pressure or a, a potentially negative pressure on the business you know what I, I'm only speaking I've never thought about it I've never thought about whether Gymshark won't carry on in the trajectory it has, whether it will hit a peak. And that's because we don't talk about things in terms of being important just for tomorrow or, or we'll hit this next year, this financial target and whatnot. The the terms, the phrases that people are using are, are about legacy. You know, how do we disrupt your big brands? You know, Nikes, Yadis, your Lululemons. How do we disrupt that marketplace? What can we own? Which means that this becomes something that is around uh, and forms a community for longer than a five year business plan or 10 years. So yeah, I imagine that there is that pressure. I've never thought about it at my level uh, and I've never worried about it. And I'm only talking for myself there. But yeah, you, you, there's always gonna be the, I suppose the naysayers who sat around here around for a short period of time. Um, you take that on the chin, don't you like anything? Flames football, everybody's got an opinion, right? Um, but yeah, I think I'm 100% believing what it is that we're doing here. Uh, and I can't say that I've been concerned about the longevity of, of Jim Shock. No, I think, you know, it's been a really interesting conversation, Ad, and, you know, thank you for joining us and taking the time to have a chat. And I'd love to, you know, follow that journey and your journey over the next year see what you can come up with and if other people want to do that how can they best stay in contact with you watch what's happening with you and your career what's what's happening at Jim Sharp yeah um so LinkedIn it's Adam Davis um LinkedIn there'll be a lot of us so I've got people developing partner at Jim Sharp directly underneath um and albeit Instagram and whatnot's personal I, I'd encourage people to follow the Gymshark uh, main channel uh, and all the channels associated with Gymshark there's you know a wealth and breadth of content um, going on to there all the time and um, for all the social media Twitter Facebook um, and Instagram and, and Adam Davis on Instagram as well I'm always posting in and around the office uh, when we are able to um, be in the office regularly and just sharing Gymshark content regularly so yeah Please do get in touch. Um, like I said at the start, by no means an expert. Share anything um, as to what people's organisations are doing, and I'll be happy to share how we're trying to mix things up at Gymshark. 
um, I'm really glad to have that conversation. I'm really appreciative that you've, you've had me on today as well, James. Well, we'll make sure that all of those links are shared in the show notes and yeah, add thanks once again. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can register to join the Learning Effect community. The link to do so is in the show notes below. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the Learning Effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.